0: Welcome to City Church. We are a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church, encouraging everyone to follow Jesus, grow together, and serve others. We're excited to share this sermon with you today, and you can always find out more about us online at citychurchseville.com. We are kicking off our summer series today, and will consist of four standalone sermons to help you have a, a very enjoyable summer. And... Uh, reflecting on some scriptural truths that'll make you most of the that'll make most of the summer connecting with the Lord and today we are going to talk about rest talk about rest. And I am looking forward to rest this afternoon, even though it's July 4th. I am going home. I live up up in Forest Lakes. As soon as we are done here, I am headed to the pool for at least three or four hours. I'm going to give myself a good soak, and then I'm going to stand in front of a grill and make some great food, and I'm going to watch fireworks, and that's going to be my fourth. Are you with me? Everybody about there? Right. Okay. That's what we're going to do for the fourth, and I'm looking forward to it. My kids are looking forward to it, but... uh, As Pete just said, my family and I are in transition, and I can honestly say that the last few months have been extremely hectic. I think everybody here has had transitional moments in your life before. We know how busy that can get. Uh, Finishing well here at City Church, packing a house, finding a new place to live, uh, learning a new job, getting all the logistics of the move together—it's a lot. It's a lot, and. I think everybody here has has done that before, but in the midst of all that, last week, we took 14 students to our sectional youth, youth camp in Gore, Virginia, and that was, we just got back Friday night, and that was a very long and very hot week. You think you are hot now. I don't know what it is about Gore, Virginia, but it's up in the mountains, But for some reason, the elevation there works differently than any other place on the planet because the higher you go on that mountain, the hotter it gets. I don't know if it's the presence of God. I don't know if God is smiting somebody there. I don't know what's happening, but it is hotter as you go. And the first day that we had in that camp, it reached 104 degrees and there were 300 teenagers running in an open field playing games. And I'm just sitting here watching them going, my goodness, I'm going to pass out just looking at this. But luckily, I'm old. I'm an adult. I get privileges that they don't. So I got to sit under a tent with a snow cone as I watched them flip tires through a field. It was amazing, I had a lot of fun. But it was, it was a good week, um, it was a little different for me. I got to do security this week instead of being a counselor which was something different, I've never done that before. But what I had to do was make sure that kids didn't do anything stupid. I guess they needed muscle this year, and they they chose me for obvious reasons um, to go and just make sure I kick kids back into fair play and make sure they don't do anything silly. And although this week was a little bit less hectic than than weeks of camp before, um, it was still extremely, extremely busy. I had a lot of things that I had to do. We had to Uh, you know, check, do room checks. I must have unclogged like 17 toilets, it was the grossest thing of all time. But you know, you love Jesus, you love the kids, and you do what you got to do. Chasing mice out of our meeting areas because we're up in the woods, cleaning everything, go here, go there, make sure kids don't die here, make sure nobody gets lost here, eaten by a bear. You know, every five seconds that I thought I would have a moment to relax, there was something else I had to do because I had something connected to me all week long. It dangled around my neck. It was a two-way radio that I had to carry with me all week long. And that thing was going off every five seconds, because there was about 40 security and counselors there to make sure these students were safe and having fun, and about every five seconds, that little thing just went off. And I never really got a moment's peace. How many of you have ever had that before, where you've actually had a day off and you're supposed to be resting, but then something keeps dinging and keeps going off, and then every five seconds, although you might be inactive, you're not getting any peace whatsoever. There's no rest. This entire week, there was no breaks. There was no stops. It was just work. Now, if I look at our students who went through this entire week, who did so phenomenally, it is one of the greatest things you'll ever see when you take kids to a camp, or to a convention, and you see every single one of them begin to mold themselves together, make new friends, become a tighter family in the Lord, and also get closer to God. And I would encourage all of you, as Pete stood up here and just mentioned that next Sunday we'll all be hanging out. So if you have a teenager, bring them. If they have never been involved, you know, get involved. I wanna encourage every adult here, if you have any sort of heart for our next generation, our teenagers, be there next week. Because one of the most satisfying things that you will ever do in your life is sow into the next generation. Because if you can go to a camp or go to a convention, or go to anything that's overnight and watch God literally transform the heart of a teenager, you will begin to believe that anything is possible, okay? I've watched God transform the lives of teenagers for 20 years, and I tell you what, it is one of my greatest inspirations of faith, because if God can reach the heart of a teenager or a young person in our culture today, I personally believe it's a miracle, and I think everybody in a church needs to experience that for a moment. So as I exit here as youth ministries, we get a new youth pastor coming in. I wanna encourage this church, invest in your teenagers, invest in the kids ministry because when you watch God change a young life, it will, you will never be the same again, which is partly why I'm going into teaching because I wanna see God continually transform the next generation. Now, something shocked me when we came home from camp. We have absolutely beat up these teenagers for a week in a good way. Uh, I did have to suplex a couple, but it was fun. It was all for Jesus. But I expected on the last Friday that we were there, that last day, after an entire week of running in plus 100 degree weather, that when I put them on that van to bring them home, they would instantly pass out. I could not have been more wrong. For three hours coming back from Gore, they played games, they talked, they yelled, they screamed. They had a wonderful time and I was exhausted but they were riding the high. I talked to Pastor Keith right before service started and I was talking about uh, his two daughters, Anna, Ren, and Claire came with us. And I said, how were your da- How was Anna, Ren, and Claire? Were they able to rest? And he said something to the tune of, they were pretty much zombies all day yesterday walking around and they were coherent and moving, but I don't think that they were there. And they needed a day to rest. Now, the one thing I was thinking of as we go into this sermon about rest is simply this. Let me put something in your mind what if we took those teenagers off that bus and instead of letting them go home and rest, we threw them on another bus and sent them to soccer camp? Or we threw them on another bus and we sent them to football camp or lacrosse or dance camp or whatever kind of camp that they like to do. Or we took them on a family vacation where you were just running 24-7. Or worse yet, and I'll say this, we really a nightmare for all of our students. What if we took those students straight off the bus and we told them the very next day, you got to start school now? and we didn't give them a chance to rest. What would that do to them? How would you feel? We've, we've done it before. You know exactly how it feels. We have worked so hard in our life. We've taken vacations. We, we've, we've, we've worked ourselves to the bone just to have maybe a few hours to sit and be down for a second. And then the next thing kicks in. And here we go again. We've all done that before. We've all gone without rest. But the thing is, We need it. We need rest in our lives. God has built us to rest and he did it for our purpose. And it's something I believe we need to take full advantage of. There are great moments in scripture that show us rest. And I want to quickly share one with you. You don't have to turn here. I just want to use it to kind of spring where we're going today. But in John chapter four, uh, verses four through 26, it's the iconic story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well. We're all familiar with this story, I believe. Verse 4 through 6 says this. Speaking of Jesus, now he had to go through Samaria. Pause button right there. He didn't have to go through Samaria. Samaria, as we know, was a place that Jewish people did not go, especially Jewish rabbis. It was considered sinful to even step foot on the land of Samaria. So when the Jews had to go from Judea around to the Galilee or to Capernaum to get to the northern part of of Israel, they actually took the extra route and they walked around Samaria because they were not even allowed to walk through it. To walk through it was sinful, was shameful, and you are identifying with sinful people if you walk through Jesus didn't have to walk through it. He could have walked around like every other Jewish person would have done. He decided to go through it. But John records that for us as saying, now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. These were Jesus' direct relatives. Jacob's well was there, and here's the key part, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. We need to look intently at the words of verse six. Hear them again. Jesus, tired as he was from the journey. We need to lock those in our mind because what we see from this story are two things. Jesus went to the well for two reasons. Number one, he was tired. I heard a great sermon on this one time where the speaker said something that always, stuck, that always stuck, struck me and stuck with me. And I'll paraphrase. And it says this, We get so used to seeing Jesus saying, I am the bread of life. I am the water. I am the door. I am the gate. I am the shepherd. I am the healer. I am the savior. I am the vine. I am the living word. But at some point, six hours into their journey where they were walking from Judea to Galilee, at some point, six hours after they left, the disciples and we as the readers see see Jesus say something that we never expected, where the Son of God said, "'I am tired.'" This is Jesus' humanity on full display. A biblical commentator by the name of Gary M. Burge says this. In speaking about the way John characterizes Jesus in the Gospels, he says, throughout this Gospel, John emphasizes the divinity of Jesus in the strongest of terms. But here, he easily and comfortably shows an incidental human feature Jesus is tired. John's Christology does not emphasize one dimension of Jesus at the expense of the other, simply meaning this. John doesn't show us Jesus's power without showing us Jesus's vulnerability. Let me say that again. The gospel of John does not show us Jesus's power without showing us his vulnerability. The accounts of Jesus's life are astounding in this way that they do not hesitate to show that even the perfect Christ was perfectly human. And as I listened to this speaker talk about these verses, he simply said this and it caught my attention. He said, sometimes we need to see the tired Jesus. Sometimes we need to look in the gospels and see that Jesus himself was tired. So number one, Jesus went to the well because he was tired. He was exhausted from the walk, but more than likely he was also exhausted at the disciples bickering with one another and missing the whole point of everything that they were doing. Seriously, read the verses before and after that, those verses and you will see Jesus absolutely lighting up his disciples for missing the point. He's exhausted mentally, physically, emotionally, and totally in his body. So he goes to the well to sit. Number two, for sitting at the well was Jesus was there for a divine appointment. He went to this well as tired as he was because he knew the moment with this precious daughter was coming and he was not going to miss it. This conversation had been written, written from the beginning and he was going to be there. Even in his exhaustion, Jesus was doing the will of the Father. Jesus' rest in this moment at the well was a rest of divine appointment. And I would argue that there is a rhythm of work and rest that is set up for us in the scripture, that God has built us for rest and to miss the rest that he has given to us is to miss divine appointments with God. If you get nothing else today because it's already 470 degrees and it's the 4th of July and you are full of watermelon, what I want you to get right now is simply this. Take this home with you if you get nothing else that God has built rest for us into our schedule, into our routine. And if we miss the rest that God has designed for us, we are missing divine appointments with God. Not that our rest is simply mandated for us to have fun and relax and unplug, and that's part of it. But the rest that we're talking about, the Sabbath rest that we are supposed to take on a routine basis is placed in our lives so that we can meet with God. Sabbath is a divine appointment. If we miss the Sabbath, we miss the chance to be filled with the power and purpose of God. Let's quickly look at the Sabbath uh, and the the routine of work and rest. And if you have your Bible, you can go with me here. This is where we'll take up our our main verses for today. This is Exodus 31, Exodus 31. The book of Exodus 31, chapters 12 through 18. And here's what it says. We'll look at the first two verses uh, intently. Then the Lord said to Moses, say to the Israelites, you must observe my Sabbaths. This will be a sign between me and you for generations to come. So you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. Now, if we were to look at verse 13, I'm reading out of the NIV version here. But some of you might have a different version out there that you're reading or that you're looking at. But if we were to look at a different translation of these verses, how that verse 13 will read is this. It will say something like this. Say to the Israelites, above all else, observe my Sabbaths. Above all else, you must remember my Sabbaths. In chapter 25 of Exodus if you start reading at chapter 25 which I would encourage you to do read from chapter 25 all the way up to this moment in verse in chapter 31 what you see in those six chapters is God setting up the rules for the tabernacle, the dwelling place of God with His people as they walk through as they walk through the wilderness. This was the place where God would physically appear to Moses, physically appear to Aaron, and He would show Himself to them. And the presence of God literally sat in the middle of His people as they were walking through the wilderness. So for six chapters, God is setting up what that worship is going to look like, literally down to the point where He's telling people what they need to wear, how they need to. To present themselves, what the decorations are going to look like and what the rules for the tabernacle are going to be. And God gives him this as a forerunner to the temple that will be built. So this is a serious moment that's happening here. But he ends these six chapters by saying this, you must above everything else I just told you, you must remember my Sabbath and keep it always. Because he says this, this is a sign between you and I for generations to come. This command is something that will live in perpetuity throughout all generations. This is something that also translates to Christ and the life of Christ in the newer Testament. It is something that that went through the wilderness. It is something that went through the first and second temple. It is something that went through the prophets and the diaspora. It is something that went through the intertestamental period time. It is something that went through all the way to the birth of Christ. It is something that the disciples and Christ Himself observed. It went all the way through the church fathers. It went all the way through the Middle Ages. It went all the way through the Renaissance and the Reformation and it has come all the way to us. I want you to realize this morning that the Sabbath rest that is commanded here in Exodus chapter 31 is for us we live in this sabbath rest but verse 13 also tells us something as well verse 13 god says this i am the lord who makes you holy that word holy literally means set apart other special used for a special purpose As God is carving out a nation to live in this world, he gives them rules to live by that will set them apart from other nations. And now here's something very interesting, something I hope you all will discover. If you study the ancient Near East and you study the ancient Near East cultures, which I recommend we all do, because if you can study the time period that the Bible is coming out of, it gives you a greater understanding of what is happening in the life of Israel you will find in ancient Near East cultures that there are few, and I would argue there's only one of the many cultures that surrounded Israel at this time, there's only one that has any real understanding, let alone a practice of what a Sabbath is. The closest we come to it is the ancient Akkadian culture. And for them, a Sabbath rest was every 15 days and then every six months. But it was nothing close to the detail to the perfection and to the requirement that God had set out for His children. See, when you read this, it's a sign for generations to come, but when you look at the Sabbath and you look at the laws and the commands that God set out for His nation, what you see is this: that yes, it was for Israel. It was for the relationship with, with Him, it's for the relationship within the community. But when you read the Older Testament, you read that the nation of Israel was light and it was salt. They were supposed to be a, a fixed piece in the world that every nation can look at and observe. The idea, I preached on this a few months ago, but the idea of salt and light is not something new that Jesus brought out. It was something that the nation of Israel had been living for thousands of years before Jesus showed up. So when God gave them these laws and this, especially this Sabbath command, it was a sign not just to Israel, but because they were to live in it, It was something that every nation that surrounded them would look at. Now think about this for a minute. Think about our culture even today. To not work on a day, to let a day go by where no work is done. Think about the culture they lived in. Very literally, if you didn't work, you didn't eat. If you didn't work, you didn't have bread. So to skip a day of work meant the possibility of starvation or going without. This idea was unheard of. In fact, if you go back to Exodus chapter 23, you read that not only God demanded a seventh day rest, but you'll also read something phenomenal that God demanded a seventh day rest for the entire, a seventh year rest for the entire land of Israel. Imagine this for a moment. The entire nation of Israel did not cultivate the ground. They didn't plant, they didn't reap, they didn't sow, they didn't touch the land for an entire year but they still had more than enough. You think about that for a moment. They wouldn't, they wouldn't plant so, they wouldn't work for a year, but God always provided more than enough for them. And the nations would look on at this in amazement. Why did God do this? Here's what I can observe in our culture, especially in the lives of teenagers. We get rewarded for craziness. Right? We get rewarded for being busy. How many conversations have you heard where somebody just goes, oh my goodness, I'm so busy right now. Things are so unbelievably crazy. We're doing this, we're doing that. I'm working, my kids are here, my kids are there. We're doing this. We got a new dog, we got a new puppy. We're doing this, we're doing that. And it's like when those conversations happen, it's a badge of honor that somebody is wearing that they are exhausting themselves to the point where they can do nothing else in their life. And I hear those conversations and I just biblically want to scream because I just want to go like, you were not designed for that. Yes, were we designed to work hard? Absolutely. Is there anything wrong with hard work? No, not at all. Not at all. But if you work yourself so much to where your your response or your opening statement to somebody is, man, life is so crazy. I'm telling you what, you might be doing it wrong. And in fact, our God would tell us you're doing it wrong. Because here's the thing, every bit of that statement is rooted in self-reliance. No matter how much somebody, I've ever heard somebody say, you know, we're so busy, we're so crazy, but God sustains us. We're so busy, we're so crazy, everything's going, but God has given us strength. Yeah, I don't know. Because of what I read biblically is God has designed you to rest. And if you're not resting, you're walking outside of the design that God has built for you. Is God really the one sustaining you? Or are you you running on self-reliance and you just either don't want to admit it or you're not aware of it? See, we are broken and we are bent and we live in a way where we are reliant on ourselves instead of the presence, the power, and the graceful rhythm of God. God knew that we would be bent to self-reliance and he knew that we would be prone to forget his goodness and his grace to forget that it was his strength and his spirit that sustains us. And so he said, you are going to take a day off to remember who I am. See, one of the points of the Sabbath is that we do not become self-reliant, but we're always leaning into the power and the presence and the grace of God. And not only that, but here's what always gets me every time I study this. Not only that, but God gives us the Sabbath Simply because he wants us to know that he wants to be close to us. The nations that surrounded Israel must have looked in awe to see a God who told them to take a break, simply because he wanted to be with them. God wants us to take a break, not just for our health, not just our well being, but also that we would remember him to be close to us. To him, church, I would ask you very simply, how soul-filling and how beautiful is that statement? Seriously, reflect on that for a moment. That God didn't tell you to take a break just so you can sit around and relax and unplug and have a break. He told you to take a break because the thing He wants more than anything else is to talk to you and have an uninterrupted moment just with you. He wants your attention and he wants you to remember that you live according to his grace, his mercy and his strength. The Sabbath was made for us to rest, but not just to unplug and to be inactive, but to rest in his presence because ultimately there is the only place where we will ever be satisfied, where we will ever be fulfilled and where we'll ever find our divine purpose. It's in the rest that he gives. If you keep reading in verses 14 through 17, we see the seriousness of the word of God as it pertains to the Sabbath rest because twice in as many verses, God says these words and to be true to the text, I'm gonna just say them. God says this, observe the Sabbath because it is holy to you and anyone who desecrates it is to be put to death. Those who work on that day must be cut off from their people. Think about that for a moment. Think about the seriousness of what God just said. If you work, now he's speaking Old Testament, speaking to his nation, (laughs) speaking to the culture he's, he's carving out right now. And he tells them, if you work on the seventh day, you are cut off. Thankfully, we do not live, at least I would say to myself, I thank God every day that I live under grace and not under the law. But I think we can adequately say, And we can repeat the words of God here where he said, if you don't take a break, you're cut off. I think we can honestly say, even though we live under grace, that if we don't take a break, God may not be the one smiting us. But I tell you what, we're smiting ourselves. If we don't take a break, we're harming ourselves. How many people do you know that wear themselves out because they don't know how to rest? Sabbath is to remind us of the power and presence of God to lure us from self-reliance into trusting him. God has given us a better and healthier way of living and it's something we need to embrace. Now, sadly, when you read through the Older Testament story, you see the Sabbath turning into a burden. In Amos chapter 8, the children of Israel were complaining against God because they wanted the Sabbath to end so that they can go back to market, to sell, to trade, and to buy. But here's the thing. They also threw in lying, cheating, stealing, and swindling people out of their money. The Sabbath turned into a burden, which turned into sinfulness, and God had to correct them. The cycle of work and rest had been broken And it became another part of man-made religion in ancient Israel. And you know, you think that sounds silly. But how many of you have ever been on vacation or had a day off? And all you could do was think about the work that was waiting for you when you got back. Let's be honest with it. You never really unplugged. You never really got away. Because the only thing you could think about is what was coming as soon as vacation was over. Did you rest during that time? Were you mentally and physically and spiritually released to enjoy the presence of God or enjoy the beauty of God's creation that was made for us to enjoy? Or did you take a vacation or have a day off only to be thinking about the next day that's coming? You might've rested your body, but you didn't rest your mind or your soul. Now let's take a look as we begin to close. I want us to go to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. I wanna paint for you a picture of what Jesus is telling us and what Jesus offers to us. Matthew 11 is one of the most famous chapters and you're about to read why. But Matthew 11, starting in verse 25 through 30 says this. Guys, just give me a minute, worship team. Matthew 11, 25 through 30 says this. At that same time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my father. No one knows the son except the father and no one knows the father except the son to those whom the son had chosen to reveal him. Here's the famous verses we all know. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is using the illustration of a yoke and he says, this is what we're, what he's talking about here. The yoke he's talking about, if we go back to verse 25 is his instruction to his children, meaning his teaching. The yoke we have to understand is Matthew 5 and 8. It's, it's the Sermon on the Mount. It's what Jesus is commanding his followers to do and how to live. That's the yoke that Jesus is talking about. His teaching, his way of life is easy and it's light and it's rest for the heavy laden and burdened soul. So what we have to realize here is what Jesus is offering is a soul filling rest for everyone who follows him. The first thing we see in this passage that is obvious that God wants us to rest and to enjoy the rest of our souls Take my yoke, which is an instrument of labor. Jesus is teaching us here how to have a rhythm of work and rest in our life. Frederick Dale Bruner says this, and I think this is an amazing quote about talking about Jesus's yoke. And this is what he says. A yoke is a work instrument. Thus, when Jesus offers a yoke, he offers what we might think tired workers need the least. They need a mattress or a vacation, not a yoke. But Jesus realizes that the most restful gift that he can give the tired is a new way to carry life, a fresh way to bear responsibilities. Realism sees that life is a succession of burdens. We cannot get away from them. Thus, instead of offering escape, Jesus offers equipment. Jesus means that obedience to his Sermon on the Mount, his yoke, will develop us will develop us in a balance and a way of carrying life that will give more rest than the way we have been living. This quote rings true. I know for myself, the older I get, the heavier things become. The older I get, the further I go in life, the more responsibilities I must lift. When we put a yoke of faith on the yoke of the burdens we carry in this day-to-day life, it seems like one more thing that we have to carry. But when we look at Jesus and we look at the illustration of what he's saying, the context of what he gives, we see the power and the beauty in in his words and the work and rest that he's offering. First thing we have to understand is what is Jesus comparing this to? Give me five minutes and then we're, we're gonna go. What is Jesus comparing this to? If you read Matthew 23, verses one through four, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees here and he's talking about them. And Jesus says this, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. See, the Pharisees had created an extra load of religion for people to carry, and it was wearing them out. People could not carry the burdens that professional law followers were carrying. The Pharisees were piling onto an already long list of laws in the Older Testament, making it nearly impossible to live a holy life. And they were crushing the people they were supposed to be helping. Now, what Jesus says is they don't even lift a finger and the illustration is simple, especially when we look at it in the the context of a yoke. What he was saying is that the burdens were tied up, that they were thrown on the backs of people and it was weighing them down. And when Jesus says they won't even lift a finger, what he's literally saying is that they won't even walk over, put their, bait, put their finger on the load and help them to lift the burden even with their smallest finger. The Pharisees were giving them a load to bear but nothing to help them bear it. But Jesus comes in and says, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. If you look at Matthew 29, it says that, Jesus says this, I am gentle and humble in heart. Again, if we look at another translation of the word humble, it means lowly. Now the image, and I want us to see this as we begin to end. Worship team, you can begin to come. Thank you guys. I want us to see the image that Jesus is putting into our mind when he says the word lowly. And he's using it in context of a yoke. Hear me when I say this. The image Jesus is putting into the minds of his hearers is this that the yoke that he gives is a yoke built for two, not for one. That when you are yoked, you are yoked with Jesus, that he humbles himself. He gets down lower than you are and he slogs through the mud and the burdens while you carry the yoke that he's asked you to carry. He is the one lifting you up. He is the one who gives you strength. He is the one who's teaching you how to work, how to rest, how to live. In short, what Jesus is saying is that as I, the yoke I give you is a is something you must bear. It's something you must work with. We know that, that we have to work and we're going to be working, but what Jesus says is that the work that he gives you to do, he is the one who will stain you through it. He is the one who will give you rest while you're doing it and he is the one who will carry the burden with you and for you. That's the difference between what the Pharisees were offering and what Jesus was offering. The Pharisees will watch you work but Jesus was going to work with you. Jesus requires us to work, to toil, to put our hand to the plow of life and to roll up our sleeves but Jesus follows the law of the Old Testament and he also commands that we rest And we will rest for a moment for that. Church, we need to rest. We need to take a break. We need to enjoy him and continue to do what he's called us to do. God rested on the seventh day to show that that rest is part of our routine. Don't disturb your rest. God knows we need rest. He designed us that way. But the rest comes through our enjoyment of him. Your soul longs for God and it desires to be with God. And to be honest with you, as I was thinking about how we can put feet to our faith here today, I was planning on sharing what we can do to rest Here's five or six tips in order to rest in the Lord. But you know what? The more I thought about it, the more I believe this is true. We know how to rest. We know what that means. The question is, are we going to do it? Are we going to unplug at consecrated routine times in order to center our lives and pull strength from the Lord? Are we going to take time to have those divine appointments with him? Are we gonna turn off the bells and whistles and the dings for our attention? Are we gonna let that email just set for a bit because it's not going anywhere? And instead, are we gonna take a walk, enjoy a meal without disruption, play a game, hang out with your family, dare I say, even lead them in a devotional? And just take the time to breathe in the good things that God has created for us to enjoy in this life. Church, we know how to rest. But we always carry it as a badge of honor that we don't. You were not created for that. You were created to rest and absolutely absorb every bit of the Holy Spirit in your life. Because ultimately, that's where our refreshment comes from. That's where our rest comes from. You can rest your body, but not rest your spirit. And when you leave that moment, feel more disturbed than when you went in. You gotta rest. God told the nation of Israel to take a break as a sign to them and a signal to people groups around them. And the last thing I will say is simply this. As a youth pastor, I watch teenagers carry burdens I don't think they were ever designed to carry. We work teenagers so hard in our culture. And we do that because, let's face it, we want them to graduate high school and have a future. But I watched 300 teenagers this week absolutely cut loose from every single requirement and responsibility on their life, and just enjoy being kids And for a week straight, they never stopped smiling. And even though they were exhausted in their body, they had these divine moments with God and they were absolutely refreshed. We need to take time to refresh ourselves, refresh ourselves in his presence, have those divine appointments the world needs to see Christians that are fulfilled in their walk with Christ. And we do not look fulfilled when we are stressed, when we are burdened, when we are so crazy busy that we don't have five seconds just to breathe. That's not a good witness to this world. This world needs to see Christians who are fulfilled and who are rested and who have something to offer a world that is in chaos. Would you stand with me? Thank you guys so much. I know that was a little bit longer this morning. I know you're hot. I know you're tired, but hey, it's the 4th of July. What a better day to go and take a rest, right? We can do it today. We gotta take time to rest in him, to be filled in him, to offer ourselves wholly to him so that we may be overflowing with his grace and his presence. Let's pray. Lord, as, I was, as was already prayed this morning, thank you, Father, for such a beautiful, beautiful day. Lord, help us enjoy it. Help us escape today, not just from the cares of this life or not just from the burdens we carry, but Lord, help us escape into your presence. Father, we sang this morning of how good you are. You are so good that you told us to take a break. You told us to meet with you. And we stand this morning in complete awe and wonder and in love with the God who tells us to relax. And we can do so because we trust you. Father, help us today to rest in you, not just for our bodies or for our souls, but Lord, help us to rest in the fact that you hold us in your hands that everything we face, everything we go through, every trial, every temptation, everything that is demanding our time and our attention, Father, you've seen it already, and you have conquered it. Lord, we can rest forgiven in you, but we can also rest and trust you, that you hold us and you hold our families and you hold our children in your hands. So Lord, we don't have to work ourselves to death. We don't have to be filled with anxiety or worry because we trust you. So Lord, help us lean into your presence this morning. Help us to trust you. Help us to rest in you. And Father, may our souls be satisfied by your presence. Father, we thank you for the freedom that we've been given. We thank you for the 4th of July, that indeed we do live in a country where we can worship you under the open sky without fear. Father, let us take advantage of the freedom that you've given us, that we will run after you. Jesus, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for the rest that you've given to our souls. Help us this summer to take full advantage of it. And we ask this in Jesus' holy, precious name. And as we listen to this music, and as we exit today, may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord Lord cause his face to shine upon you and give you his peace. And in the name of Jesus, give you rest. In Jesus' mighty name, and we all said, amen and amen.